I love talking about this subject, and um, it's amazing the number of people who have who have volunteered to, and offered to help in in many different ways, whether it's financial support, intellectual support, physical support. Um, the community seems to care a lot, and I do believe that we will look back and say, "Remember that time when?" and look at the progress that we've made. No part of said property hereby conveyed shall ever be occupied or used by any Hebrew person or any person of Ethiopian, Black, Malay, Filipina, or any Asianic race, except only as employees in domestic servitude. That's Howard S. Wright, chairman of the Seattle Hospitality Group, and Jonathan Martin, editor of the Seattle Times Project Homeless, addressing what I am sure we all agree is a very critical problem plaguing the Seattle area, and that is homelessness. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. I'm going to dedicate the entire show today to the homelessness issue that is gripping Seattle, King County, and other major cities throughout the country. How did we get to this place where over 12,000 are living on the streets daily? How is this happening, especially in a city that is prospering like never before, Seattle's prosperity for many or other people's misery? We are all frustrated as we drive through the city and see tents everywhere. It's an eyesore and makes us feel uncomfortable. But just imagine how uncomfortable it is for the people living in those tents. I guarantee the homelessness crisis won't be solved in the next 25 minutes, but hopefully you will gain a better understanding of the complexity surrounding the problem. First, it's essential that we have some idea why people are living in the tents in Seattle and in the region. At the end of the show, I will give you the estimated percentages and rankings in King County according to the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And what percentage do you think of people living in the tents because they lost their job? 10%, 40%, or maybe got evicted from their home or apartment? Again, 15%, 30%. Take a guess and write it down. The categories are lost job, drug and alcohol use, evictions, medical issues, or mental health issues. One more time, it's because they lost their job, they have drug and alcohol problems, they've been evicted, from their apartment or home, they're in the tent because of medical issues or mental health issues. Five categories, assign a percentage to each, and I will read at the end of the show what the National Alliance to End Homelessness had to say. Now, I spoke with Howard S. Wright, chairman of the Seattle Hospitality Group, like I mentioned, about the homelessness situation in his office near Pike Place Market. Howard has written numerous articles on the subject and is very passionate about this issue from a business perspective and also because he has great empathy toward people who are homeless. I also attended a workshop several weeks ago sponsored by Seattle City Club called Civic Boot Camp. What governments are doing together, local, state, national, what nonprofits are doing, and corporations doing to address this issue. Jonathan Martin, editor of the Seattle Times Project Homeless, talked about some of the historical reasons why homelessness in Seattle is unique to other cities and maybe not so unique, what we have in common. 
He provided a historical perspective as to why we are where we are today. It was very interesting, and I will play part of that today. I believe a very important day in Seattle's history will be May 2, 2018. That's when Amazon announced they were halting construction on a development on 7th and Blanchard and were evaluating options to sublease office space on the Rainier Tower because of the proposed tax on high-earning businesses, or the infamous head tax. The collective body of the city kind of froze at that moment, kind of like a deer in the headlights. Kind of like the same sensation we all had when Boeing announced in 2001 that it was moving its corporate headquarters to Chicago. I think it's a pretty good analogy. But let's put it this way. A lot of stakeholders in this city took notice. So I'll get to my interview with Howard S. Wright in just a moment. But first, I want to encourage you to log on to 1150kknw.com and fill out the 2018 KKNW survey. Your responses will help this station better tailor itself to your needs. As an added incentive, when you fill out the survey, you have a chance to win a round-trip passage on the Victoria Clipper to Victoria and a $100 gift certificate to Schwartz Brothers Restaurants. So log on to 1150kknw.com. One lucky person's name will be drawn on November 6th. Complete contest rules can be found at 1150kknw.com. My interview with Howard S. Wright, coming up in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. Howard S. Wright is my guest, and the subject is homelessness. Howard is a third-generation Seattleite and chairman of the Seattle Hospitality Group. He is also a recently appointed member to the Third Door Coalition, which we discussed during the interview. Howard was co-chair of the successful effort to raise the minimum wage in Seattle to $15. I asked him if we should consider a similar approach to the homeless crisis. But before we jump into the main topic, I asked him about the Seattle Hospitality Group and what that is all about. Seattle Hospitality Group is a holding company uh, with four or five operating companies, uh, specifically operating in hospitality and tourism. And how long have you been doing this? Since 2002, 16 years. And what's the climate of, let's say, the restaurant business, hospitality business today? I think it's a very obvious question, but as opposed to what it was 2002, what's different? Well, 2002, was, it was, we were a much smaller company. We, we, we started with one company and a couple dozen employees uh, servicing the conference and convention business coming to Seattle. And, uh, and that was you know, right after 9-11 and right after uh, the dot-com bust. Uh, so it was a very different environment. And it's important to remember what it was like then because these days that we're experiencing now are very heady, very robust, on fire. And, um, and I know it's, it, it's not always like this, and I remember that. What are the challenges, though, with such a robust in such an economy running now, there must be some downsides, but... There are some, there are some challenges. Uh, I don't know that there are downsides, but there are some challenges. Uh, your, your talent, your team members, uh, keeping them engaged, uh, keeping them stimulated, and uh, keeping them on board. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a seller's market right now, and uh, we just want to make sure that we keep our, our teams together. And fortunately, 
Uh, we are. Um, it's a great place to work, and uh, that comes back in our you know employee team surveys. Uh, we have very little turnover. Um, we won some local community awards and things like that as engaging places to work. And uh, what would you be doing if it wasn't the job you're in now? I've got to be doing something. Uh, I am uh, not a uh, <clears throat> slow down and um, you know sitting on the front porch looking at the world go by <clears throat> is not in my DNA. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I will always work as, as a friend of mine said to me the other day that uh, <clears throat> they're going to put his toe tag on in the office and uh and that doesn't mean that i work 60 hours a week it just means that i really enjoy what i'm doing you're on the go and i want to keep doing it certainly Mm -hmm. homelessness has become a passion of yours it seems to me as i've been reading how did you get to that point well i'm a native seattleite uh, fourth generation seattleite in fact i care a lot about our city but paul i also care a lot about my businesses here and um, some of the street and gritty issues that we have in Seattle are impacting our businesses um, because people who are not used to seeing uh, the condition of our streets, people living on the streets, and some of the aggressive panhandling, uh, it can be quite off-putting. And if you're not from here, it can be more than that. It can be startling and you can have a sense of, uh, is your personal security being threatened? I don't happen to think that it is. I live downtown, I work downtown, I walk downtown, I take the bus every day, Um, but I also know my way around the city. I walk with confidence, I walk with purpose, and I do walk at night, uh, things like that. But if you're not from here and if that's not your usual uh, behavior, then I could see how it could be intimidating. So I am both passionate about my business and protecting our industry and compassionate about people who have not been so fortunate and are living on the streets early on in Ed Murray's term were the co-chair of a coalition to up the minimum wage and bring these stakeholders together and that's right my question now as I fast forward I have myself said an example that one of the things I thought Ed Murray did really right was put this coalition together again co-chaired by you and it gave like a month or two months to come up with something and you did why can't we do the same for homelessness so you're talking about raising the minimum wage and then putting a minimum wage here in Seattle that was higher than the state minimum. The state already had the highest minimum wage in the country and then the city has an even higher one and that was four years ago. The answer to your question is that, that there are a lot of silos and a lot of people working on this homelessness issue and there is not a lot of uh, collaborative uh, sharing of resources. There is no one particular director or czar uh, of this uh, of, of this project, and it would be helpful if there were. The, the The city's working on it. Neighborhoods are working on it. The county's working on it. Uh, I'm sure the state has some approaches to it, um, and everybody is uh, and, and and some people are dividing and subdividing, taking certain segments of it, um, and that's what some of the challenges are. Yeah, I was at a homeless conference about two weeks ago. One of the people said he was not optimistic about us really closing the loop on this was because we're so fractured and and we have too many stakeholders involved in this and just too many moving parts. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that, but but I'm going to define the word fractured and sometimes fractured can imply, can have a negative connotation. And and I don't see any um, antagonism or antipathy between the different organizations working on this. But it is a lot of organizations trying to, trying to create a lot of positive change, and, and therein lies the challenge. 
I came out of there, a lot of the police were there, some of the people who went to the homelessness camps, and the whole thing was very stimulating in terms of, of what was uh, discussed. Mm -hmm. But again, you left there with people going, hey, I don't see this is going to be solved. Right. Do you believe that? I do think it's going to be solved. Um, I've seen some good initiatives come out of the mayor's office, and I'm seeing some good initiatives come out of an organization with which I'm associated called Third Door Coalition. Third Door Coalition is narrowly addressing the issue of chronic homelessness, uh, which is people who have been homeless uh, more than three times in the last year. And, uh, and, and, and it is, of the number of people sleeping homelessness, there are about 12,000, and uh, this is a narrow subsection of that. So we'll address that. I also think that the city is going to get behind um, a little bit more of a carrot and a stick. Uh, for the tents and the encampments that get uh, set up along the sidewalks and things like that. Uh, so I think that will address some of, the, some of the challenges. Well, it's interesting when I'm at the meeting, the Third Door Coalition wasn't even mentioned. Okay. Brand new organization started about eight weeks ago and uh, meets up on campus, has, is not affiliated with Seattle University, but happens to be able to meet there. And uh, we meet every two weeks now and uh, are coming up with a plan to help get people off the streets, uh, those who are chronically homeless. And the thing that struck me about the head tax is that there was no plan. It was just like we're going to charge, what was it, $97 million was the first rendition and then it was cut in half or whatever. A lot of the people I've talked to, including myself, going, we've spent millions already. What is the plan here? What is the long-term plan? It didn't seem to be in place. We're just going to continue to throw money at it. Does that make us feel good? Is it the Seattle way? What's your feeling about that? I, I agree. That no, nothing. I, I disagree with nothing that you've said. Um, it's, it was a poor plan. Um, it also gave business an opportunity to say, okay, we are opposed to the, to the uh, tax, uh, to, the, to the head tax. And, uh, but if we're going to be opposed to that, we need to be for something. And so businesses finding a way to lean in to come up with solutions and a good example of that is the Third Door Coalition. I think also that when Amazon at some point said, okay, we've had it with this, and they said we're going to slow down our building, it got everybody's attention, it'd be like you saying, I'm going to move the Space Needle out of town. Uh, <laughs> good analogy. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> wish for that one's one. One's easier than the other. Uh, you know, the, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus uh, on the head tax. It was not something I supported. In fact, I was one of the co-leaders of the repeal uh, of the head tax. It was a flawed idea from beginning to end. And I, I know that there was some support for it, you know, among council. They wanted to be able to do the right thing. I felt that the tax was punitive and um, I didn't feel that there was any incentive uh, for a solution. There was certainly no plan on how to spend the money. And then one of the elected leaders got out in front to really attack one of the largest employers in town. And uh, it began to spin out of control after that. One of the things I hear from people again around the coffee table or whatever, the bar, continually repeated that we are an inclusive city and if we do all these great things, the homeless people from other cities will come and move here. Is that discussed? It is discussed, and, and I don't find that to be accurate. <clears throat> another term, and I don't want to add any more credibility to that observation, but another term is free addle. You know, you go to Seattle, everything's free. I don't believe that to be true. Can, can, can you prove that people have moved here? Yes, of course you can, but you can prove that they've moved to many places. 
Um, but it is sort of a, a sort of a false reputation that we have. So no, I don't believe it. All right, so that's more myth than reality. Right, I, your, I your estimation. Cities that I've read that have done a good job, the same cities come up. Manhattan's number one back in the 80s. They had something where everybody had to have shelter with the homeless. And it seems like you go to Manhattan and you don't see a lot of street people. The other city that comes up is Salt Lake City. Correct. I read about them a lot. They see them popping up. Honolulu, what have they done and what are we going to try to emulate? Salt Lake and Honolulu uh, have the same reputation, but through very different methods. Uh, Salt Lake actually has uh, a, an impressive... Um, affordable housing construction plan, uh, which is what they've been doing. And they, they've been able to lower their numbers dramatically, measurably. Um, and that's something that I hope to see us accomplish here in Seattle. Honolulu is a little different, and that is they became more of a, a you know, the carrot and the stick approach. They became more of a stick approach and began enforcing no camping in the parks. Um, and furthermore, they did have <coughs> a proof that other communities on the mainland had been providing homeless people a one-way ticket to Hawaii. And so Hawaii bought them a one-way ticket back to where they were from. Um, that literally happened? Yes, yes. yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. And I have quite a few employees in Hawaii. We've been in business there for years. And uh, I can see a dramatic improvement uh, in Honolulu. Why do you think this is going to work where other efforts have failed? Because business has a seat at the table now and hasn't before. Uh, on this subject, uh, and I would also argue that that's why the head tax got turned around and that business was not at the table to help uh, fashion a solution, uh, be it taxes or fees or something else, and, and nor was there a plan to execute what the head tax would have, would have generated, <clears throat> how to spend it and how to apply it. And now business is part, business, uh, uh, Third Door Coalition is, is made up partially of business people like myself. Um, they're not-for-profit not people, they're academics, uh, there are restaurant operators, uh, there are people from uh, Plymouth Housing, uh, the Downtown Emergency Services Organization. Uh, so it has a really great representation of people from downtown. So it more parallels maybe what the, the minimum wage effort was. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Smaller group. One of the things I learned from the minimum wage effort, we had 24 on the committee because trying to represent all these different constituencies. Uh, great goal. Uh, but sometimes hard to you know make a lot of progress when you have 24 people at the table. And what do you hope then uh, well, they'll come up with some solutions that we can you know get our teeth into to say yes we can support this uh, living in West Seattle and, and, and say we're on the right track. Yes, there's good evidence with chronic homeless that you get them into a stable, safe place, and that 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 develops a springboard onto the next level of security and staying off the streets and. You know, the other issue that we have here is that, you know, people say that we have shelters that are not full at night. In some cases, that's true. It depends where we're talking about and depends on the time of year. One of the things that I've learned is that some of the shelters have uh, very strict rules, and I am not making a judgment about this at all. I want to be really clear about that. I'm just stating the facts. Uh, some, you, you know, they only take men. Others, uh, you can't bring children. Others, you can't bring pets. Um, others, you can't bring, you have to be clean and sober. Uh, you can't have any weapons. Again, I'm not making any judgment. I'm not telling the shelters what their rules should or shouldn't be. But that does keep some people out on the streets. Mm -hmm. And do you think the more of the problem has been cost of living that's gone up in Seattle and housing prices that have put people out in the street or is it more addiction problems or is it mixed in or I think it's a combination 
Um, I'm not in any way denying that we are a very expensive community in which to live. Um, that said, um, at least in the chronic homelessness, uh, which Third Door Coalition is addressing, it is much less about people who have lost their home or their apartment uh, due to the robust economy and the cost of living here. It has more to do with what is their background, um, from where did they come, do they have addiction issues, do they have abuse issues, um, and those are the things that, that can make people chronically homeless. So you're optimistic we're going to put a dent in this in the next five years? I'm optimistic that we're going to see progress maybe over the next 10 years. Will we see anything immediate in the next three years? You'll see construction. Don't know whether it'll be occupied yet. Anything else before we go? No, this is, I, I love talking about this subject and um, it's amazing the number of people who have, who have volunteered to, and offered to help in, in many different ways, whether it's financial support, intellectual support, physical support. Um, the community seems to care a lot. And I do believe that we will look back and say, remember that time when? and look at the progress that we've made. That's Howard S. Wright, chair of the Seattle Hospitality Group. Jonathan Martin spoke at the Civic Boot Camp on homelessness sponsored by Seattle City Club several weeks ago. I will play some of John's presentation on the history of homelessness in the Seattle area and how we got to the place we are now. Jonathan spoke about unintended consequences, like for example, a hotel fire in the late 1960s, which affects the homelessness situation in downtown Seattle to this day. Another, another key moment in time. Uh, the, uh, this is a hotel, you can see the Lenora and you can see the iconic uh, Western Hotel Tower back there. This was a hotel, uh, this was a, one of those SRO motels I mentioned earlier from Pioneer Square. This is a hotel called the Ozark Hotel. Um, and uh, at the time, um, the Ozark Hotel, like most of the other uh, uh, SROs in the, uh, in the downtown area, didn't have sprinklers. Um, there was such a fire danger that actually the, the fire inspectors, Cordy and Carvage, the day before were at the Ozark. They were so worried about it catching fire. Uh, and there was apparently a list of like, you know, holy smokes, red flag uh, hotels all over the city. Um, Ozark caught fire in the morning uh, in uh, 1970, uh, and uh, 22 people died. Uh, there, this was a sea change moment, um, not necessarily because of the loss of those dear souls, but in the in the wake of this, um, there was a um, was a, a progressive outcry that we are allowing people to live in um, poor conditions without without fire sprinklers. Again. Right, all, all the right intentions, right? You don't want to have people living in um, fire trucks. Um, but uh, you see that story there that, uh, you know, <laughs> classic newspaper coverage, <laughs> what the hell is the fire department doing to protect people? Well, what they did do is they shut down hotels. <coughs> um, in uh, 19, between 1960 and 1980, um, so there was, it was in, in, in the year right before the Ozark Hotel, there were about 22,000 SRO units downtown. Um, and these would have gone all, all across the area. Um, by 1980, uh, we had lost fi uh, uh, 15,622 of those units. Um, they were closed like crazy. Uh, and um, of, the, of the units that were remaining that time, um, most of them had, were starting to be 
uh, gentrified or, or, or either that or they were vacant uh, because of the fire code risks. You think about our population today of the 12,000 folks that are on the street on any given night and think about what a difference it would make to have 25,000 affordable housing units right in the middle of downtown. Um, you'll see that it was interesting looking at the, those two stories are about, uh, are ran about two months apart from each other. Um, so they're closing down hotels like crazy. And then, man, Skid Row is having the worst winter ever right now. Again, these decisions we make at the time make sense, but in retrospect, have consequences. One of the other, um, certainly sort of larger factors, but incredibly important factors of um, today's homelessness population, homelessness problem, was um, the historical discrimination, housing discrimination. Um, Seattle had, had um, redlined its city uh, as effectively as anybody in any city in the country. Um, I'm gonna read to you a few covenants. Here's a one covenant from um, the Ballard neighborhood. No part of said property hereby conveyed shall ever be occupied or used by any Hebrew person or any person of Ethiopian, black, Malay, Filipina, or any Asianic race, except only as employees in domestic servitude. That's Jonathan Martin, Seattle Times editor of Project Homeless. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. I would like to thank Howard S. Wright and Jonathan Martin for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. Now, I said at the beginning of the show that I would break down the categories and provide percentages as to why people are living in tents in Seattle and King County. Number one, losing a job, 25%. Number two, drug and alcohol use, 21%. Evicted from your home or apartment, 11%, medical issues, 9%, and mental health issues, 9%. Now, I would have thought that drug and alcohol use would have been higher. I'm also surprised that a lost job and eviction, they kind of go hand in hand, and that's about 36%, or roughly one out of every three people living in a tent in King County is because of that. So anyhow, I hope you know a little bit more about the subject of homelessness than before you turned on the show. If you want to listen to any show for the last year and a half or this show again, you can Google KKNW, click through to archives. At the bottom of the page, click on to Voices of Experience, and you have arrived at the right place. You can listen to past interviews that include former hosts of NPR's All Things Considered, Robert Siegel, the first elected transgender official in the history of California, Lisa Middleton, Another show I did on homelessness several weeks ago, which included a visit to the Bread of Life Mission in Seattle's Pioneer Square. The first American to climb Mount Everest, Jim Whitaker. I had an interview with him 20 years ago. I love listening to Jim Whitaker because he just gives such a great, straightforward interview. And Chicken Soup for the Soul author and entrepreneur, Mark Victor Hansen. Great interview as well. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. You can call me at 206-459-5536 and discuss anything you heard on this show or other programs you've heard. Also, if you have a comment to make about this program and want to weigh in on homelessness or, again, any other issue in the Seattle King County area, you can call 425-653-1166, and there's a recording mechanism. Just leave a voicemail, and I'll get it on the air, but please keep it to about 30 seconds if you would.
That phone number is 425-653-1166. Have a great rest of the week.